Welcome to Machine Learning. Today I'm going to talk about one of my uh, most favorite books uh, that I've read called Mechanisms of the Mind by De Bono. It's one of those books that you read and uh, and over time as you get into um, GAN networks, reinforced learning, uh, deep neural nets, those type of uh, classifiers that you really begin to understand more how profound this book was um, as it kind of sets the groundwork of understanding how the human mind works that we can translate that into um, mathematical methods of simulating uh, biological processes like neurons. he says that the brain may not be as difficult to understand as previously thought. Instead, the problem may be it is too easy to understand. And um, uh, when you think about that, uh, I know there's been a um, lot of work that sets up pipelines, uh, very complex processes. Uh, you have to set up your CNN, convolution neural net, to recognize the object. Then you have to feed the uh the the outputs into an input layer for the deep neural net then you have to set up either a linear classifier or a categorical classifier and then you have you can set up multiple outputs based on those loss functions so when as you look at that um uh, it's fairly complex and even if you're talking about adding an embedded layer where you take the total number of unique categories and then you your number of uh, input dimensions your output dimensions and then you flatten it and uh, so it takes those higher dimensions reduces it down to your outputs and you know so that uh, things that are near each other are are grouped together Um, those are type of things that the brain does very naturally and it's and it's uh, um, we process what we see, uh, we process what we hear, and um, in some cases we can even process what we feel it, uh, by um, the our spirit. And those are those are um, powerful mechanisms that affect the mind and the body. Um, but it, they may not be as difficult to understand as we, we think it is. We may make things more complex. And that's due to probably the mechanical nature of trying to uh, make things work in a digital world. We are basically analytic, analog creatures, not digital creatures. And, and because of that, there may be this increased complexity for uh, simple things to understand, to understand simple things. Explanations may be highly acceptable without relevance to what is being explained. Descriptions may reveal something that is not apparent and may be unfamiliar. Yeah, and just as we have talked about in the past, uh, the more knowledge you get, the less, uh, the more barriers that are created between us and the the group that we're talking to, and so we need to find ways that are counterintuitive to explain uh, what we understand and to take those things that are, um, for example, if you're looking at uh, cross-validation 
and you're trying to explain that, how do you explain that in an easy way? Or if you're you're looking at R squared uh, error, how do you explain those loss functions on the weights uh, as they relate to the uh, test data? How do you explain that as a, a function of like stochastic gradient descent or atom or uh, other types of um, convergent technology? You have to do it in a way that's familiar to the people that are listening. Words usually describe things or actions. A few words don't describe things, but are helpful for dealing with words, multiplication, division, and addition symbols. And uh, we live in a very precise world, but yet um, it's very difficult with words to describe things. And so the volume of words have to increase uh, in order to accurately describe the processes. Um, but then uh, creating something tangible like that uh, describe uh, things or actions are going to be more valuable. Words represent information stored in the brain. And uh, words themselves do not provide meaning. So it's the association of those symbols to actual meaning and to actions that, that matter. The brain has bad memory feature provided for computer computing function. You know, this, this idea of the brain having bad memory, um, that's not necessarily a curse. Um, it um, suggests that the brain uh, can utilize um, uh, higher levels of creativity. And so if we all had perfect recall like a machine, uh, would we have... Um, uh, high levels of creativity? Would we be trying to reorganize things and put things together in a way that's meaningful or makes sense? And then the secondary thing is the things that we see around us have to have uh, some spatial relationship and they have to be aesthetically pleasing. And for that reason, uh, you know, we don't have that perfect memory, but that's not necessarily a disadvantage. Thinking has four types, natural, logical, mathematical, and lateral. I think when he says natural, he's talking about intuitive. There's just kind of this abstraction that's going on uh, in our brain all the time. As we take different things, we're trying to relate things and understand it. Um, for example, when Einstein was trying to figure out the general theory of relativity, he had a dream, and in the dream, he saw um, he saw how the curvilinear system was being affected by a mass of a of a large object, and how time space was bending. And that helped him then solidify the model. Helped him solidify his theory, and I think that's the way we do um, we do think. Uh, Sometimes we're we're trying to search for the model that makes sense, and uh, we're listening to different things, and and it can spark um, an insight, and that insight or intuition or epitome, um, or in some cases I would say revelation, is necessary for us to think. So we get that uh, we often think that our patterns are patterns that we create, but. Many times they're divine, they're inspired patterns. And uh, as you get that connection to that light, then um, your brain and your body and your mind 
begin to put together this model that explains things and then that creates that feeling of confidence that you can move forward. I know that there's times I love to sleep because uh, it gives me a chance to process uh, complicated things and uh, there's so many times where I've after I've prayed and I've I've slept I I go into work and uh, within 30 minutes I solve the problem and and for some reason you know maybe it's taken two months to get to that point where I could just put it all together and it just works so it's one of those kind of magical moments and uh, miracle actually is what I would call it but uh, I've had many of those cases where problems that have really been hard for other people I've been able to solve and and uh, I attribute that to that kind of that natural way of thinking. Um, artists, when they look at different objects, they take in and they recognize the objects of having certain aesthetic values, and they can create sculptures from it, paintings, uh, that combine different colors in a pleasing manner. Uh, there's one scientist or one artist that he's taking data, and uh, he has a team of um, computer scientists and engineers and he's taking the data and finding signal in the data and then representing that signal whether it's in sine waves or uh, change functions he's then taking that and displaying that on large digital uh, panels as art pieces and so in some cases he's taking millions of pictures and then he's doing some morphing uh, between pictures that are alike and using neural nets to do the classification of those pictures, grouping like pictures together, finding common features. Um, he's removing people out of the pictures. And those type of things allow for um, uh, signals that are interesting. They have kind of a natural, organic feel to them. What happened in the brain, in the brain, are information and the way it happens in thinking. Thinking is the arrangement of information processed by the brain and restructuring of information to improve results. And um, I once had a professor that said that that when you start off uh, in your art projects, that uh, you you're going to do a lot of sorting, sorting out of how the shapes are going to be placed, how the colors you're going to combine, and there is this constant rearranging until uh, you you improve the aesthetic results. And that's also true of equations. Uh, I remember when I was taking some math courses that uh, the professor would say, you know, that was intuitively obvious. But then there, there not, sometimes there would be more than one way to solve the problem depending on what, which coordinate system you use, Cartesian, polar, cylindrical, spherical. Um, and then by the selection of your your uh, coordinate system, you had different solutions. So there was this constant rearranging to find uh, which one made more sense to use and uh, based on the geometry of the object that you were trying to solve uh, the equation for. Making use of the characteristics of systems can be used to improve performance or achieve the sum and. Um, Yeah, and I, and again, uh, we we take things that are around us. We integrate with different systems. 
uh, and we use those systems to improve performance. Uh, today, we, you know, if you went back 20 years, uh, there was probably some beginnings of cloud computing, and companies were, you know, maybe maybe they had carbon um, uh, file, and they you could back up your system onto a, a server somewhere. Today we have cloud where uh, file systems are all sh- being all the files are are being shared, and uh, they're stored in the cloud, and so carbon copy uh, probably has transformed into another type of cloud technology or been displaced by technologies like Azure, um, Office 365, Amazon Cloud. Language, notion, mathematics are aids to thinking. And, and mathematics is a form of, of communication. Natural language, we are, um, we use language to help facilitate thought and uh, one of the great things about big cities is, is that there are a lot of people there and a lot of ideas, and we can exchange uh, words um, that uh, help facilitate thinking if we're trying to solve problems. The brain has poor memory recall. The brain picks and chooses and alters uh, information in what is called processing behavior. So what comes out is very different than what goes in. Some basic processes can be put together to give a system complicated behavior as a brain. And uh, that's what we're seeing is in with the deep learning networks is that you can stack networks um, together and through small pieces of functionality, you can create this overlaying effect of a highly accurate um, complex structure. And I think those structures are going to become more visual and more complicated um, as more information and more types of data are being fed into the network and um, correlations are being drawn from the network through learning and actions are being taken based on uh, more complete understanding of the data. Some knowledge of the properties of the basic unit is required at each level of information form, but a detailed knowledge of the basic level does not yield any information about the higher levels of organization. For example, nerves and synaptic connections detailed information did not give insight into the notion and idea formation abstracts. And, and I think that that's really interesting because uh, in neural nets, those first layers, they, they do basic generalizations, uh, you know, do line detection, color detection, uh, maybe even voice signals, work, different w- words. And then those hidden layers, then things can be determined like uh, face of a person, a uh, cat, uh, an object like a bicycle, a car, and then um, then that those labels then can have certain meanings. Like if that is a person, that person is also characterized as a human being. Human beings uh, on the road um, 
are moving in a certain trajectory should not be uh, collided with when the self-driving car is going by them. So there's these conversations that are going on between um, the low level, which is a de- which is doing these characterizations like the nerves are, and the higher level, which are um, memory association recall in the in the brain. If the units are small, the functional descriptions cannot be described, and if the units are too big, the description will be too broad for use at all. The perfect size is a unit big enough to be usable as an explanation, but also capable of making predictions. And I feel like that's what's going to be the challenge in the future is that we're, we're going to start building these networks and uh, we have to be able to explain that section of the network, what it's doing so it can be maintained. And if it's too big, then um, it may not be of use all at all. Um, it, it just becomes this black box. And if it's too small, it may not be generalized enough. So with just finding that right size and functionality is going to be critical. Once a model is constructed, it has a life and working of its own. With a model, you put the pieces together and learn from what happens. A model is a method of transferring some relation or process from its actual setting to a setting where it is more conveniently studied. In a model, relationships and processes are preserved, unchanged though the things that are being related may change. All models involve the transformation of relationship from the original original setting into another. Once the transformation has been made, then the relationship within the model itself indicates what can happen. And that statement there is uh, just brilliant because um, that's what we're doing with um, um, machine learning, deep learning, is that we're building models that represent processes. And uh, we also um, are um, discovering relationships between features and uh, based on these processes and relationships, certain actions can be occurred. And once you put the model in place and it's been proven, it, um, it will just um, be a normal piece of functionality in the corporate machines. Um, and so as you, if you improve, uh, operational efficiency by using dynamic, uh, LTSMs, that will not, uh, it will not draw attention to itself that it's doing that work, but you will see uh, percentage improvement in your performance and it will have a, a dynamic nature because it will be pulling in multiple inputs and uh, your the system will be responding in real time, and that real time uh, response and feedback to management will give them better understanding of what's going on at any given point in their company, and the machine will be optimizing to that particular performance. So efficiency will be improved, and uh, cost savings realized. A notion is model building system. Basic principles are arranged and applied differently, creating a notion. Newton's mathematics use limits to explain areas under a curve 
uh, Newton's symbol condensed Lisbeth's principles. That he's talking about the integral. Uh, Lisbeth's principles were still a part of Newton's notation. A convenient notation may make possible the development of different ideas. So we have Keras and deep learning. Uh, we have uh, neural nets, and then we have uh, PyTorch, and we're and they all have different symbols um, that represent the mechanisms. The mechanism model of thought does not provide a similar mechanism actions in the brain. The mechanisms of thought may be useful because it is interesting to understand self-education and self-organizing passive systems that is capable of effective information processing by means of a few basic operations. The system described is capable of self-direction of attention, thinking, learning, and even humor, removing the unique and magical fashion the brain operates. The idea that there may be an inbuilt errors in information processing system may have a relevance to human thinking. The system would offer a mechanical philosophy and capable of organizing ideas. By nature, the surface is meant in all the process of rules of behavior, which taken together constitute a special universe. Anything that happens in the special. Get over here. Hey. By nature, the surface is meant all the processing of the rules and behaviors which taken together constitute a special universe. Anything that happens in the special universe happens according to its rules. The difficult thing is realizing that different universes have different rules of their own. The rules are determined by the organization of the system. People are the same, but the rules may be very different <clears throat> in different social universes. One needs to recognize the existence of special universes and learn their special rules of behavior. Circular system effects. A weak battery that won't start a car, if it continually used, will weaken the battery even further. <clears throat> Rich people get richer. Big pay newspapers get bigger. When people buy stocks using rising inflation, the prices rise as more people want to buy stocks and bonds in order to benefit from the rising prices. These are examples of positive feedback system scenarios. If the first thing tends to get bigger, the second will get bigger. That's the closed circle. The reverse is also true. If the first gets smaller, the second will get smaller. If the first thing has an opposite effect on the second thing, the connecting line is interrupted as the open circle. Positive and negative feedback circle, circular systems can work side by side. Suppose an area has an abundance of good jobs then people will move in, making it easier for others to follow. The current flux of labor saturates the market and work perspectives don't look as good. The work opportunities decline and people move out of the area. <clears throat> emotion is the major source of variability on our special memory surface. Once the emotional aspect has been taken charge, 
No amount of information will take over charge. Will take over charge, and that is so true. Uh, if you get a emotional state, uh, like someone's angry at you, no amount of emotion that you're feeding to them at that moment is going to change that uh, state. Uh, the only way that they're going to um, be able to process anything that you're saying is that they have to willfully choose to reduce themselves down from that anger state. The original pattern allows the channeling of emotion. Emotion in its broadest sense provides the sole mechanism of adaption whereby more useful patterns may gain dominance. So, and that's how we, we process things. Things that are very useful, actions that are very, that lead to uh, profit or value are um, preferred or liked and uh, actions that don't are um, abhorred or avoided. Emotions provides the substance of self and individuality. Logical thinking would be impossible without emotion. Emotion is essential to information processing. A feeling is followed by rationalization and may be just as useful as sequential approach. Much of the surface memory information is internal patterns representing the needs and emotions of the body. Attention follows the area of activation, or in other words, the contours of the memory surface. The area of activation on the memory surface is strictly limited and cannot exceed the given size. The limited attention area settles on the most active part of memory surface or the part most frequently used. The individual is paying attention to one part of the total. The limited attention span has an advantage to the mind. Much is left out and discarded as irrelevant. Something is selected and the ability to select is important. Selection means an emotional preference and ability to act for choice. And that, that's really important is that there's two things that he's talking about, interest and importance. So when we have an interest in something, we're going to process more information. And if it is important, that draws our attention to that item and we begin to concentrate and think about um, that particular item. So interest and importance are the two mechanisms of the mind that drive all thinking. Breaking things into fragments has an advantage. Fragments have mobility. Language consists of mobile fragments that can be strung together in different ways. Mathematics, science, and measurements are fragmented processes. The internally produced patterns of pain and pleasure intrude on the pure memory surfaces and help to direct attention. Selection is based on usefulness and instead of familiarity. The memory surface no longer deals with information for its own sake, but only in terms of its usefulness. In terms of survival and adaption, this is essential. So short, uh, just summarizing up, I think in the future that uh, the mechanism of the mind will be an important book to read as we as you begin to think about um, two important components. How do you identify what is interesting and uh, what is important? And so bringing in large volumes and more volumes of data into your data lake and then trying to find signal in that. 
has to be driven by what is interesting. What is the business requirements? What are they focused on? What is important to them? What indicators matter to them? So you have to answer uh, that, that question, what is interesting. The second question that has to be answered is, what is um, important? And this is, can be more vague because uh, the, the business can have certain things that they look at that are important, like accounts receivable, uh, billings, uh, number of new customers, customer churn, uh, marketability, uh, frequency, um, frequency, monetary value, and recency. Those type of things uh, that drive companies uh, are important. Maybe the uh, customer feedback and sentiment uh, analysis will be important to them. And uh, But uh, even from the data that's being collected, uh, things can be analyzed using natural language processing, reoccurring neural nets, and it can draw attention to discovering pattern and then when you reveal those patterns to the company that may become something that they didn't realize and uh, it could become more important so um, I think this book was really good because it it kind of highlights the usefulness of how we can utilize the machine to help uh, improve the bottom line and to improve the customer experience